Dave Lad here. Welcome to Catpick Fridays, episode number 32. And once again, I'm joined by Mr. Richard Morgan, who definitely didn't have any technical issues before we started shooting this thing. Right? Nope. Absolutely none to speak of whatsoever. We had a set time when we would meet and start recording, and it's definitely not just over one hour and 15 minutes later than that time. And even if it yep. was that much later, it wouldn't have been anything to do with me. Just so that's clear. Everything yeah. happens for a reason. Yes, something like that. I definitely didn't go into like full tech support mode where like, did you try restarting your router? Did you restart your computer? Have you made sure that your did USB you? cable is plugged in properly? <laughs> yeah. But after an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes, it worked. And here we are. Yes. Here we are. Yeah, it's... It's annoying, as you mentioned, like while we're, we're trying to troubleshoot, like sometimes these things happen, like last time you did everything, it worked. And the next time you come to your computer and start like setting up everything, it just doesn't. Even though you haven't made any changes at that. Yeah. Like the, the most annoying time, thing in the really world. really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So there's but that. here we are. But here we are. And thank you so much for joining us again. And I want to remind you that this show is available on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on the Podbean app as well. And if there's a certain section you absolutely want to jump into, there's timestamp in the show description and on YouTube. There's the clickable thingy where you can jump between different sections as well, which is really cool. And if you want to be part of the questions and comments Thing. You can either leave a comment on YouTube or you can email us at podcasts at catpicstudios.com. And today we're going to talk about, first of all, my new album. Yay! Uh, by the time this episode airs, I have an album out. First solo album of wibbly wobbly guitar music and... As of shooting this video, I'm actually rendering the video as we record this show and my computer is going crazy right now for that release. So there's that. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the album in a second. Then we also will need to talk about Eddie Van Halen because it's roughly a year since he passed. This show didn't exist at the time that happened. And since a lot of people and a lot of magazines and everyone has been posting about, well... It is passing and the legacy he left and all of that. Uh, we thought we'd take a bit of time to discuss like our thoughts of him and his impact on the guitar and music industry in general. And then we're going to dive into the gear that's been out. Uh, I forgot to add, add the Universal Audio. What are they called? I'm going to cheat. They are called Volt. Universal Audio released new audio interfaces, very, very budget-friendly interfaces that, like, anyone who knows Universal Audio, their stuff used to be very expensive, but not anymore. And we're going to talk about that. Then there's a Zoom B6 bass multi-effects unit. First that I remember seeing, like, dedicated bass guitarist multi-effects unit uh, Look pretty cool. We're going to dive into that. Uh, Origin Effects have re renamed one of their pedals, but they're saying it's definitely not because of the legal case they're going through and, and, the, and the one that we had covered uh, some months ago now, I think, already. So there's that. And we have a list. The lists are back. Yes. 
lists are back and we are going to dive into 11. For whatever reason, it's not 10. It's 11 best distortion pedals of 2021, according to Music Radar. But not just Music Radar, it's Music Radar, Total, Total Guitar and Guitarist Magazine. They've combined their forces to create the ultimate distortion pedal list. Wow. <laughs> you look so excited about this. Well, I haven't seen the list, but if the great minds from Music Radar, mm-hmm. Guitarist and Total Guitar come together to create the best 11 distortion pedals of 2021, this is going to be exciting. Groundbreaking. It's the list rule. Yes, the list yeah. rule all the other all the other lists. There's that. And then there's Richest Pick for Albums of Our Lives. I actually have no idea what we're talking about yet, but we'll find out that. And in the Weekend Watch, we'll dive into Megadeth's uh, guitar player. I thought he was like a very recent addition to the band, but he's been there for five years already. <laughs> Kiko has a great, great YouTube channel, and there's a lot of interesting vlogs and stuff he's posting about his tour with Megadeth. So we're going to dive into that as well at the end of the show. Again, if you want to check out one of these sections right away, there's timestamps, but otherwise, let's go to recent happenings. So, a very recent thing that has happened, and actually, as this show is, it's been released today. I got an album out, and as you can tell, the album is called Cat Pick Jams, Volume 1, and it's basically a collection of everything I've written since starting my channel. I guess my channel officially started, and I'm putting officially in quotes, in 2017, because that's when I decided that, hey, I want to be a YouTuber, and started doing videos on a consistent basis, but... The first song is actually from 2016. And I kind of did this test demo or like this very Pete Thorne stylish demo, like just music and isolated tracks and stuff like that. I did that video and used one of my songs that I had released in 20, early in 2016, actually. And yeah, there's... 31 songs, and it's a cool journey from that 2016 to pretty much very recently, so what, September 2021 or so. And I've gone through everything I've put out during that time, uh, grabbed uh, the best versions of certain songs because I had used some of the songs several times in different videos. Just the same time, it doesn't make sense to write a song and then use it on just one video. At least I think so. So I went through different versions of those songs, and they're like, on the album, they're roughly in the chronological order, except uh, I put the whole, uh, the first four EP on this album as well. And everything is, has been remastered. I think it sounds like every single song sounds way better than it used to. And I'm pretty excited to put this out. Like, it's a collection of music I put out over the past five, six years. And it's a cool little journey. You can see, like, where I started, like, video production and audio production-wise, to where I'm now. And, yeah, there will be a video out on YouTube as well, where you can see the videos, 
like all that, like the music videos that I also shot for those clips. And it will be available or it is available also on all the streaming platforms for you to listen to. So go check it out. I think it's pretty fun. And you have listened yeah, to the I whole think, thing already. I think it will be a, a really interesting thing for fans to listen to because, you know, the videos that you've done, the, the songs that you've written and the productions that you've done as well, it's like a diary of where you were when you were doing those things and what level you were at. So people will see the progression from, you know, simpler songs and arrangements and good productions. They were always good right from the start, as were the songs, but kind of how that's increased in level and how you're now at a level where the productions just sound bigger and fatter and fuller and better, you know, how you've honed your craft over the years. So I think it will be a very cool listen. Yeah, I hope so too. And yeah, as I mentioned, it it's yeah, it's a like a diary of like what I've been doing over these years. And uh, doing this whole project was actually pretty exciting because I, the old songs weren't as bad as I remembered, uh, but the production was as bad as I remembered. And just remastering them gave them a lot of love. There were some like basic things I didn't understand at the time, and. It was, it was fun to go back. And also, like, one of the main ideas for this was, like, since the release of those, some of those, like, first videos, it's been, what, five years or so, uh, I don't expect anyone to go and, like, browse through every single video I've made to hear those songs, because a lot of the songs are on just one video, and that's it. So if you want to see what I've been writing over the past five years, there it is now. And yeah, I don't think it will take me five more years to put out a second album. So like, it inspired me to write more stuff. I feel like yeah. I want to go and write more stuff now. That's great. Yeah. Uh, do you have any questions about this album? Like why, when, who? <laughs> yeah, all of the above. No, I mean, it's it's... <laughs> I feel like it's the right time for you to do that because you've got a good kind of album's worth of material to do. I guess a question from my side would be, did you have any embarrassment towards the older songs at all? Or do you look back at them and think, ah, I wish I'd done that differently? Or is it everything you were able to save in the remastering process? Uh, well, not everything. There's like, for example, in the first, some like on in some of the first songs like um and it's something that I only realized later was that like when I was doing leads uh my bends were out of tune quite a lot like there's a lot of overbending happening so like bends are slightly sharp sometimes even actually like pretty sharp and at the time I was like yeah that's a good take let's roll it that one so there's that uh, and it's something I didn't even try to fix. I think it's part of the whole thing. Since the, some of those videos have been out for four, four or five years, I'm not going to edit that. But production-wise, I did kind of salvage some of the stuff just by remastering them and like doing some like frequency cuts and boosts and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, I don't think any of the songs are like embarrassing, but some of them are like spur of the moment, or if like 
some of the songs are definitely written like on the spot and then I just I was done and then I just put it out not like really analyzing whereas now uh, I realize that if I write something like if I get, get inspired I try to write as many ideas down as I can then I come back the next day and then I can refine them and the process has changed in that sense quite a lot yeah and I think you can well, see any it of- in the quality of the songs as well yeah definitely would any of the songs, do you think, have also suited vocals? Because you have sung on the channel before. You know, you've got a decent singing voice. You can hold a note very well. Did you consider adding vocal tracks to some of them which don't have them? Uh, the vocal thing actually came pretty late. Like, it, it, I think it's been only during this year that I started adding vocals to my tracks, I think. Yeah. Or maybe 20, the first one I remember was that um, the isotope one. Oh, where yeah, you did like a U two E sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah, that was a cover that I decided not to include on the album because I felt like it kind of fell out of place. I just wanted to have like original music there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, with that one, I'm not happy with the vocal performance, to be honest. But it was a product. For of its time and I, I I hope I've gotten better since uh, there are some songs that I could easily see like having vocals as well but I think what I will be doing is to is writing songs that will actually like be like properly designed to have vocals these are like you can, can add vocals to them but yeah I mean I guess most yeah. of them were written with the goal in mind of promoting a certain piece of gear. So if you want that piece of gear, if it's a guitar pedal or whatever to be at the forefront, there's not much space left to have someone singing over the top. So that makes sense. Yeah, kind of. So, yeah. Can't wait for everyone to hear this. Or actually, by the time this show airs, you can already listened to all of this so have fun give it a listen and let me know what you think would love to hear that and yeah feel, feels almost th- therapeutic what's the word something like that to get this out yeah. therapeutic now, okay, I, cathartic maybe yes. yeah so really fun to get this out and on to the next project then actually like uh, so today's Friday when this airs. Tomorrow, uh, the Church EP I've been talking about a lot also gets released. So I have a gigantic music release weekend <laughs> going on. Uh, so like two of the biggest music projects of my life at the same time. So that's cool. Strange how we'll that see happens. Which, yeah. It's like um, waiting for a bus I, in England. Nothing turns up for ages and then two show up at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've experienced that in Finland as well, so I know what you're talking about. It's exactly like that. Or sometimes even three being there. All right, so there's that. And let's jump to the next thing, which is... Well, we talked about this already briefly. Edwin Halen, uh, I checked out the guitarworld.com article that you can find in the show notes as well. and. I like what they did here, like 
I know this is from February 2021, but like this collection of like short quotes from the different articles over time, like Eddie gave a bunch of interviews and there's like article from 81, 82, 84 and so on. These are fun quotes and actually all of this kind of ties in together with uh, David Lee Roth announcing that he's retiring, which I'm not 100% sure what it means, to be honest, but yeah, he also announced that he's retiring and I think we've talked about the Eddie's son a bit here, Wolfgang Van Halen. He's been touring with Guns N' Roses lately, which is pretty awesome with his solo project. And yeah, uh, I gotta say, Eddie is like one of the very few guitar players where like the ones that I'm going to say like the only one I remember hearing who gets really close to his sound like that playing, like the energy in his guitar playing and everything is Phil X. And it feels to me like Phil has dedicated half of his life to kind of have the same like vibes in his playing as Eddie had. Yeah. But otherwise, like, there isn't anyone who's, like, even close, I want to say. He was very, very unique. Yeah, when he came out, he was revolutionary. He wasn't the yeah. first guy to do two-handed tapping, but he was the guy who popularized it for a generation of rock guitarists. And this is way before our time, you know, neither of us were born yeah. when he when he first appeared and started doing his thing. But I've heard from people who were there who were, you know, it was one of those moments where your jaw hits the floor and you're like, what on earth is that guy actually doing? How is he making those sounds? It's a kind of mysterious thing that it can't really happen today. You know, we have amazing guitar players today, probably guitar players who are much more technically perfect than Eddie Van Halen was. And yet we know exactly what they're doing. So we can see it in 4K on YouTube you know, the day it comes out and there's 10 different people who have got perfect videos telling you exactly how to play it. Not that you'd ever be able yes. to do it, but it's it's a different thing now. And so, yeah, Eddie Van Halen, he left a massive mark on, well, two or three generations of guitar players now because you're a big fan, I think. Personally, yeah. it's just a kind of music I was never really into, but even I feel the influence of a player like that in my playing because I've been around so many players and I'm influenced by so many players who were in turn influenced by him. You know, he, he's just absolutely up there as one of the top 10, top five, most influential rock guitar players in history, I would say. And yeah, it doesn't feel like a year ago that he, that he died yeah. because it happened during this COVID time. I mean, he didn't, die from covid but it's just the world is frozen right now um yeah and yeah recently i was at 42 gear street and there were a number of people there who were also greatly influenced by him uh, most particularly probably most significantly would be jamie humphreys who is an incredible mm. player and has also spent years and years kind of honing his craft to become a player in eddie's kind of caliber and He's an absolutely wonderful player, Jamie, a great person. And he's done some very heartfelt uh, 
videos about the subject. So I'd recommend anyone who who wants to go and check those out to go and check those out as well. But you can see that the general outpouring of grief again a year on means that this is still fresh in so many people's minds and it shows how important Eddie was to so many people. Mm. You know, even though he hadn't been making that much music in recent years, as far as I know. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, like, I know he also made, like, some some breakthroughs, like, recording guitar and stuff like that, but just, I don't know, just the general attitude, and he's one of those guitar players who's, like, instantly recognizable. It's such a unique sound combined with the kind of aggression and energy that I'm not, like, I'm not... I don't feel qualified to analyze where all of that kind of comes from, like what makes him so unique. But yeah, it's really cool. Plus that, plus the fact that they've wrote songs that people really liked. Like that's combined with being such a unique, well, band, and then such a unique guitar player. Yeah, it, it was a band with so many top quality musicians and songwriters and yeah van halen broke through they they conquered the mainstream they topped the billboard charts mm. they sold millions of records they they did amazingly well and yeah. yeah i guess another thing is that despite him playing the kind of stuff that he did he seems to have influenced so many players from so many different genres as well you know it crossed mm. over into pretty much every kind of music so he he was a, a fantastic player Yep. And it's great that the music lives on. Yeah, that's and maybe maybe awesome. David Lee Roth has decided now that it's time for him to stop making music and retire from show business or whatever because he wants now to enjoy his later years. I don't know how old he is. He must be sixties? Yeah. I don't know, seventy? I'm I'm not sure. I think I think sixties. I want to say not 70s yet. Because I think Eddie was, what, 63 or something when he passed? Yeah, something like that, yeah. I'm not 100% sure on this, but... Yeah. Also, like, fun, fun fact, like, I've I've mentioned before about, about like, Eddie's son. Uh, I follow him on Twitter. He's an interesting follow there. And I, I forgot that when Van Halen had the whole comeback thing... Uh, Wolf was also a part of the band. He was the bass player of the band. He was 16 at the time. And imagine being 16, being thrown into Van Halen to tour the world. <laughs> That's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be a very bizarre situation, but I suppose with him, it's tempered by the fact that he was Eddie's son and he was raised in the whole in the whole world of that. Mm. So it was a natural step for yeah. him. He wouldn't have been like, he wouldn't have stepped on stage with the guys and had this kind of awe-inducing moment. He wouldn't have been starstruck mm. at all because presumably he hung out with them ever since he was a baby. So yeah, it was just hanging out like... with friends. I remember at the yeah. time when that happened, how controversial it was that yeah. Eddie's son was allowed to play bass with them. But I think he's gone on to prove that he's in his own right, a very, very good musician. And he... He's a great you know, musician. Like he justified his place in the band, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and like uh, he, his debut album is pretty good. There's a lot of good songs, and 
he's a multi-instrumentalist. He played all the instruments on the album as well. And I, I actually, I'm actually really interested to see what happens with the next album because feels like as an artist, he's still a bit raw. Yet his songs are already pretty good that like radio stations and such are playing those songs already. But like, can't wait to see where it goes from there. And he seems to also be able to handle the whole Twitter and social media thing where people like constantly tell him that like either he's not uh, like upholding his father's legacy by not playing Van Halen songs on his tour or like if he would ever even consider doing that, like some people would hate him for that as well. So like there's nothing he can do where people wouldn't say stupid stuff to him about what he should or shouldn't do. And he seems to be handling that really well, which is really impressive. Yeah, it's a catch-22 for him because he really can't win, you know, no matter what he does. But he seems to be doing it quite well so far, and I hope he can continue to do so. Yeah, me too. Uh, the fact, fact that <clears throat> he's he's touring with, or like was touring or is touring, I'm not sure if the tour is over yet, but the fact that he's touring with Guns N' Roses and he's been on like Jimmy Kimmel Live and stuff like that bodes well for his future career. So, well done to hear what, what he's going to do next. And yeah, let's jump to Universal Audio Interfaces Vault, which reminds a food delivery company here in Finland, at least. We have Vault that delivers food the same way like a lot of other companies do, DoorDash and such. Uh, yeah, anyway, they put out a budget-friendly audio interface range. We're checking out the Premiere Guitar article, and then also there's a bunch of... Ooh, no audio, thank you, on this video. Yeah, very, very budget-friendly audio interfaces, and... I, I'm not sure what to say, they're fairly basic. There's like a vintage button on on there. Uh, basically, like the smallest model is just one input, either instrument or microphone input. And they are very kind of vintage inspired and looking and very budget friendly as well. And I guess they say it's premium quality converters in here as well. Um, for the price they're asking, I'm gonna question that a little bit, but it's just me. Comes with a bunch of Universal Audio and like just they have collaborated with a bunch of companies to bundle you with all kinds of plugins and software and stuff like that, which is also what happened with the like the more expensive ones, the expensive audio interfaces. And yeah, some of the interesting and eyebrow rising features are, for example, that it's USB 2 audio, which feels a bit weird. So it is cool that it works with iPads and iPhones as well, besides the regular Mac and PC. So there's that, but it comes with a USB-C to USB-A cable. So good luck plugging that into your iPhone. You need an adapter that's probably like 40 to $80 or so. So enjoy. Uh, yeah, I found well, that really weird. Why do you think they went with USB 2? Cheaper? That's the only thing I can think of. I, I wonder if I this get it. was a product that was developed before USB 3 was a thing. No, surely not. 
I don't know. No, it's been around it for seem like years a, now. That is an interesting decision, isn't it? Because they would have had to make a, a conscious choice to go for USB 2, wouldn't they? Yeah. So they must see also, some advantage from doing that. Yeah, it could just be down like, to cost. Yeah, the smallest unit is $139. We're checking out the Sweetwater site. And if I compare that to the Focusrite Scarlet I have over here, for example, 2i2, which has double the inputs and is also USB-C powered, so you don't need an external supply. I don't know, this feels weird. Because these also need an external power supply. And I'm a little bit confused. Of why. Yeah, I'm going to check mean, how much the Scala 2i2 is at. at for me, water. one of the... Well, there's two key selling points for these new Vault interfaces. The first is, I would say, the aesthetics. They look yeah. pretty cool. They've tried to model them on older bits of studio gear. And they just... You know, they're, they're sort of gas-inducing. I saw them and I thought... You know, I've never seen a, an audio interface before and thought, oh, that looks cool. But I saw this yeah, and I thought, cool. oh, that would look nice sat on my desk. So that's a cool thing. I mean, you have the universal audio branding as well. That's the second thing. But the third thing mm. is that on some of the new models, there's five in total, you have a couple of different options to move away from squeaky clean audio and to go to kind of saturated old tube emulated sounds so a couple of them have yes. their built-in uh, 76 compressor sort of a sound that you can go to and i think there's another option or two if we scan down the article there's a bit more information yeah and for youtube viewers you can literally see there's a vintage button on each of the channels yeah so if you <laughs> if you don't want to have vintage. just pristine clean click the vintage button and you get According to Universal yeah. Audio, this this vintage classic sound that so many amazing uh, artists have used over the decades. Obviously, it's not going to be a true replication of that, but it's it's a cool feature to have, and I think it will sell it to a lot of people. the The one downside sure. of that is if you choose to record with that, it's then it's on your track, isn't it? So it's like mm. you can't take it off again. Whereas if you just record your pristine, clean audio, you can then use plugins to get that effect afterwards and then remove it if you don't like it or if you're going for something yeah. different. With this, you wouldn't have that option. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, the one that has the built-in compressor as well, so this is the uh, 176 interface. Uh, it is, it's like, yeah, you get the 76 compressor, separately so there's the compressor and then there's the vintage button as well on that one yeah but then it's just one channel i think or is yes. there one on the, the front and one yeah. on the back and the, there's the 176 and there's also a 276 which has two channels ah i see yeah uh, so you have a few different options i think sure. the key thing is going to be once people get these out in the real world and see how they sound yeah, that will be the make or break because, as you say, um, Focusrite with the Scarlet has pretty much conquered this budget market for making great products mm. at a great price that just work and just do the job. You know, I've used a Scarlet two i four for a few years now. Every single video I've ever done, every time we record, blah blah blah, it just it just sits there and does the job. 
It's never mm. broken on me yet, touch wood. It wasn't one of the things that caused us to be over an hour late today with our recording slot. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It just, it works for me every time. It's simple and easy and I just, I wouldn't even say that I love using it. It's just a tool that I've been able to rely on 100% of the time when I've needed it. Yep. I mean, I think it's a very smart move for them to move in the budget-friendly range of audio interfaces as well, because the cheapest one so far has been the... Uh, it's the... The Apollo, not, is it? Apollo Solo, I think. Yeah. It's like a one-channel thing. Uh, one of those, it's it's still like, I think, 600-ish euros or something like that. So this is way, way cheaper. And I mean, a lot of people might be very interested in these. Again, it really depends on what you need, but there's also the focus right solo as well with one channel, and there's a bunch of nice features as well. But the if this sound good, yeah, why not? I need more than one or two inputs, but most people are fine two, maybe even one. So, yeah, interesting release, kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this one. I just saw it randomly yesterday on the internet and it does look cool. Yeah, just looking at those pictures yeah. that you're flashing up, yeah, they look like cool things to have. But it's for, for me personally, it's going to be very difficult for me to justify swapping out what I have in terms of my, mm. my Focusrite Scarlet for one of these. They're really going to have to convince me that there's a reason to do that. Yeah, they're definitely not like making me want to switch, but especially because I have the Apollo Twin. <laughs> but they look interesting. Uh, what's different about this and the Focusrite, for example, this has MIDI in and MIDI out. So for studio stuff, or maybe even like using one of these interfaces uh, for like live stuff paired with like a keyboard, for example, this is more like this allows you to do things that you cannot do with. The Scarlet. Oh, but so some that, of the Scarlets have MIDI in and out, so that's also yeah. no problem. I mean, I think the all smallest of one, one don't, yeah. but... Yeah, might be. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, because do we think that these Universal Audio Vaults, are they mostly aimed at guitar players and singer-songwriters? Uh, do you, or maybe. do you think they're going to be aimed at people who are going to be making use of those MIDI arrangements? To me, these seem like entry-level interfaces. Yeah, I, I don't see... Entry-level interfaces. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't see the MIDI as being a key selling point there. I just think it's it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it's a nice addition, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you can have it, why not? Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. So, yeah. Interested to hear these in the real world situation, I guess, and people's reviews and comments on these. So, need to keep an eye out on those. Moving to something that I kind of was excited about, actually. Because Zoom put out a B6 unit. Look at that. Boom. That's... <laughs> How would you describe that design? It's spaceship. It, yeah, I was going to say, it looks one. like something that the Apollo moon landing astronauts would have used. <laughs> yeah, kind of. 
Yeah, perhaps Poo Ninja can tell us exactly which part of the uh, landing module this came out of if he watches this mm, episode. That, that, but yeah, it's certainly not. To. It's certainly not a modern-looking design. I mean, we just saw mm. with the Vault audio interfaces a very cool old-school-looking studio aesthetic, whereas this B6 just looks kind of. I don't know. I don't want to say dated. It has kind of an old school charm to it, but it looks like it's from the 90s. Yeah, that's definitely. I don't know. It looks very Zoom to me. Like if I yeah, grab my it, it, it Zoom 505. Yeah. If I grab my Zoom 505 over there, like it, there's very definitely similar vibe. Should I do it actually for YouTube viewers? Yeah. So we can get yeah, back. Just it. a second. They all want to see that. And. I'm actually not familiar with whether there is a guitar version of this B6, by the way, Vlad, or is this just a special for all the bass players out there? Uh, I gotta say, I'm not sure. I don't remember seeing, like, there's definitely some similarities aesthetic-wise, like, if we compare to this. Like, it's from the same product family, sort of speak. Yeah, exactly. You can see that it's from the same lineage. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, the unit itself looks cool. There's a bunch of switches, like, very well laid out switches. There's a touch screen, which I love this development in, like, multi-effects units. Because my biggest gripe with most of them has been the user interface. And when you can use the touch screen, it's such a huge improvement. Yeah. It makes your life easier. You can chain up up to six effects plus an amplifier emulation. There's uh, 12 different classic bass speakers included. There's a bunch of different DI inputs and output options. A uh, few different preamp emulations as well. The I.O. looks pretty comprehensive. Yeah, there's balanced out, amplifier out, uh, all a couple different... Oh, yeah. The cool thing is like there's also two different inputs. So if you are swapping between the bases to the set, you can tweak like both of the inputs according to your base and then just swap them on the fly, which is really cool, cool and unique. I I don't remember seeing anything like this from other companies. And USB there audio is can use gent this as an audio. Sorry? <laughs> There's a gent preamp. <laughs> Have you seen that? <laughs> Finally, there's a gent preamp. The, the one we've the all been... preamp emulation for. we've all been waiting for. I know, Which combines I know. an undistorted low end with a strongly distorted high end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool because like, that's something when I ask my friend to record some tracks, that's what, what he does. He sends me like a heavily distorted track and then there's a clean track and then I blend them in. But you can do that with the preamp right away from there. So that's cool. And yeah, there's a USB out as well and you can use this as an audio interface. So... That's also something that's been happening with a lot of these units. You can use them as an audio interface now. So yep. it's all about recording. Uh, I mean, this kind of looks cool. It has everything I would need. There's a, even like an SD card slot for rec Ha! There's an SD card slot and you can use that SD card to record what you're playing. I've never seen this on any of these units before. That's kind of cool. Like it could That's be super cool. useful some, for, for some people. Didn't one of the new X looper pedals have that? Where you could just record stuff uh, and then use an SD card to transfer it? 
Could be. I don't know. I'm forgetting. I I've had to remember it, but yes. It's definitely not a common thing, but that's a very cool idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and this was a Bluetooth expansion port for wireless control of the B6 unit by a dedicated guitar lab app as well. And price is roughly 500... Uh, the recommended retail price is 534 euros. And the article that says, so hopefully the street price will be under 500 euros. Yeah, yeah let's hope. I mean... If I was a gigging bass player, I'd seriously consider this. It looks great. I bet it sounds good as well. Or like the yeah, few it, demo videos I've watched. Sounds good. Yeah, I haven't seen or heard anything from it in video form, but it looks like it includes absolutely everything. So if you're a bass player and you have a bass and you buy this, you, you can record, you can rehearse, you can gig. And you can make the most of that gent preamp. You, you've basically got everything you could ever need as a bass player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I also enjoyed this layout of all the switches because, first of all, it's probably the cleanest layout of any units I've seen. Plus, they also, like, on the right side, there's three buttons so that uh, allow you to select between inputs and stuff. Like, they're lower on the pedal board, like, physically lower as well. Like, Feels like they've put a lot of emphasis on like just like product design in the sense like what it's like to use in a live situation or playing with a band. And it feels to me like um, that part on the right where you have those three buttons, they had originally designed this to have an expression pedal. You can mm. kind of see how it's sort of on a True. different physical level. It's either higher or lower. And the rest of it, you can tell, or at yeah. least I feel like I can tell there would have been something for a foot treadle there, and it's just no longer there. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> or maybe there is a guitar version of this, and it has a wire, a wire expression pedal thing on that yeah. side, and they just don't have it for the bass. But what they've done yeah. is use that space and put some extra options in there. It's cool. Yeah. And especially because you have the two options, like the, the option to switch between two inputs, I think it makes sense to have it like physically lower the input switch that is so you don't accidentally yeah. hit it while you're playing and muting your signal so yeah that is pretty sense. cool yeah. yeah i mean i have nostalgic feelings towards zoom because back when i was <laughs> first starting i also had one of their cheap multi-effects pedals that were so over the top in terms of presets yes. that you you just you laughed when you switched between them because some of them were so yeah. crazy sounding but you can dial them back, you know, make the stuff much more moderate and get really good sounds out of them still. And so I'm assuming that their their newest models are actually really good sounding. Yeah. I, see. I think I need to close my window. There's like a loud leaf blower going on all of the sound. <laughs> Just a second. There you go. Much better. I can hear something now. Uh, yeah. Let's jump to the next thing. And we tease this in... Like, which is the conclusion of this article already. But uh, Origin Effects has renamed its Revival Trem pedal to Deluxe 61. And as some of the listeners might remember, there was a controversy between Revival, oh, sorry, or Origin Effects with their Revival Drive and Revival Electric, which is a company based in US, I think. And yeah, there was like a dispute between the companies because, yeah, Revival Drive, Revival Electric. 
Well, now the revival trim has been renamed to Deluxe 61 Amp Tremolo and Drive. And Origin Effect says it's not because of the <laughs> trademark dispute with Revival Electric. But do you think it's because of the trademark dispute? Well, reading between the well, lines, it, it might indeed have something to do with that. It's all about whether you believe the company, isn't it? It, it mm. In the article, it's written twice, but it's not because of the UK company's trademark dispute. Yeah, maybe that's true. I don't know. It just it yeah. seems like a big coincidence for it to happen now. Yeah. But the as thing they is say like, at the bottom, the Revival Drive pedal will continue to have its name. So maybe yeah. it's not. Yeah, I kind of feel like them have, saying like, yeah, we're doing this because of the trademark case would undermine their case quite a bit. So they kind of have to say this. And I yeah, mean, Deluxe you know, 61 I mean, is a nice name as well. Why not? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I don't feel that a name change would have been necessary. So maybe it was, yeah. maybe it wasn't. Who knows? I think the article is funny no. and I, I feel like Music Radar is poking fun a little bit. A little bit, definitely. Yeah, because but, like, twice, as you mentioned, twice, and it's not... <laughs> oh yeah, that's Taylor. In the article, I'm qu I'm quoting. Instead, the company says the decision reflects the features of the pedal. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> I, the the features of the pedal were still there when they had it as a new pedal. So why didn't they call it that then? Yeah, that's that true. would be a question I would raise. Yeah, again, we need to do a legal episode one of these days. Yeah, so yeah, we do. That. That's all we're going to say now. And we are going to dive into one of our favorite things online. Lists of best pieces of guitar gear. <laughs> uh, and Music Radar always provides. Like weekly, almost, it feels. Today we're talking about the 11 best distortion pedals of 2021. Our pick of the top gain stages for guitar. And again, uh, there's absolutely no criteria here how these were picked, I think. Uh, as far yeah. It's just a list of pedals. And as we've reminded you before, uh, these links or like links next to every product seems to be affiliate links. So... I don't think this is like scientifically proven that these are the 11 best distortion pedals. Yeah, I'm guessing they're just just in the favorite pedals of the guys who write for those magazines. Let's I call mean, it that. They could name it that and I would still check the list. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah let's not dive into that. Let's dive into the list itself because it's always fun. And... Number one is the MXR M75 Super Badass Distortion. A pedal that I don't remember trying. And I've played it. It's a good pedal. Stars. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's and I guess one. the cool thing about that is that it has a three-band EQ, so it's very tweakable. Mm. It's true. <laughs> 
Uh, I love to have this reasons to buy and reasons to avoid section. Reasons to buy three band EQ, as you just mentioned, wide gain range, gain range, low noise. Uh, reasons to avoid and not the greatest low gain sounds and no fat switch. Yet it's number one. I feel like that means that every other pedal on the list is going to have a fat switch. Because if they don't, yeah. that's going to be a, a negative point for all of them. Interesting. Although I uh, think this is... personal experience with this one? Yeah, have this must it? be like a newer version because I remember previous MXR badass distortion pedals that do have... They were red before, not silver, like what we're seeing oh, here. True. And there was there was a fat switch. I believe. Interesting. Yep. So maybe this is a new, more affordable version. Mm. And they're made I mean, in America, aren't they? MXR pedals. Euro. So sorry, they're made in America, aren't they? MXR pedals officially. So I, thi I think so. Decent price. Yeah. Very versatile drive. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, if you need a fat switch on your pedals, then don't get this one. Yeah, this is not the. I, I do wonder if it's form. number one is number one the best, or if it's just a list of 11? Hard to tell. They never... Well, let's go down and see. Address that. Let's... Yes, let's move on and see what happens. Because number two is the Boss JB Angry Driver. Ah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a good pedal. It's definitely a good pedal. So it's uh, Angry Driver, unless I'm forgetting, it's... Uh, let me check. It should be... The, oh, yeah, it's the Blues Driver from Boss combined with JHS Angry Charlie. And I have demoed this pedal back in the day. It's really good. It's really versatile. And is it the top 11 pedal, like drive pedal in the world? Maybe, if you're going for these sounds. I liked it. <laughs> That's all I've I never know. actually played one, but it's actually a pedal I would mm. really like to try. Is it True Bypass, yeah. by the way? Because they say it here on the list, but every other boss pedal that I know is not True Bypass. I think every JHS pedal is mm. as standard. I don't remember. Uh, that anymore. just interests me because, you know, obviously all boss pedals are buffered and some people like it, some people don't. Yeah, somehow I remember that there might be like a switch inside where you can decide whether it's true bypass, but I could be wrong. That would make a bit of sense. Is there another switch yes. inside called the fat switch? Because <laughs> I, I don't see one, and yet I don't see that in the reasons not That's to buy true. section. That's true. But I mean, it has so many different options because you can go uh, with the boss sound then you can go for the jhs pedal then you can like have them in or like uh, either the jhs in front and blues drive after that or the other way around or there's a parallel mode as well and yeah that's it's a, a it's, very versatile pedal that's what i would imagine and you have the extra input for a remote which presumably gives you extra switching options so yeah. you can activate both of them independently maybe i guess yeah i think so and that's a that. really cool thing you know the angry charlie is like a it's a, a Marshall bit high yep. distortion. Marshall sort of a pedal. The blues driver is that boss, you know, pushed tube amp sort of a tone. That's mm. That could cover a lot of bases, you know, from push cleans all the way through to full-on metal sounds. You could do it with that pedal. I yep. really need to try that pedal. Yeah. 
I'm okay with this pedal being on the list. It's good. Combines yeah, two great too, pedals. Yeah, me too so far. Number, th <laughs> uh, number three is Me Mesa Boogie Throttle Box EQ. What? Uh, okay. <laughs> eh? Uh, plus points, huge Mesa Boogie distortion, uh, flexible tones thanks to the 5-band EQ, pro-quality build-in operation, reasons to avoid, can take a little time to find the right tone, and expensive. This is uh, €200 Euros or $299. I mean, mm. with a 5-band EQ, I can see why this is on the list, but... Also, really? That's my initial thoughts. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, it, you can probably make it sound amazing, but if we're talking about the world's best 11 distortion pedals, I don't think anyone is going to be naming that, are they? Yeah, especially like if the reasons to avoid are that it can take time to get the right tone out of this, and it is, it's expensive. Uh, those are pretty big too, like no-nos, to put it on the list at least. Is it kind say. of a distortion pedal that will turn any clean amp into a Mesa Boogie distortion, effectively? I think so. Okay. It looks like that. There's even I like don't a think I've ever seen knob and a boost knob. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anyone ever doing videos on this or anything. I've never heard uh, one, no, I've never seen one in person. Because Mesa doesn't want to do YouTube. They don't work, and work with, with YouTube, YouTube as Glenn would attest. <clears throat> so there's that. Interesting. Yeah, let's move on to the next one. I really don't know what to mm. say about this. Okay. Immediately, I can agree with this one. Proco Rat 2. Yes. You are familiar with this pedal. Do you have the Absolutely. number two version or the first one? I have the Proco Rat 2, and I have a few different pedals now which are based on the Rat circuit. And I've played Ooh. old Rats as well now. Uh, my friend and current boss, Thomas Blug, has old Rat pedals, and the Rat is just awesome. I love it. This would probably, yeah. without having seen the rest of the list, this should be up there if we're doing it by number at one, two, or three, for sure. It's mm. such a, a great-sounding pedal. It's way more versatile than they give it credit for by saying scuzzy fuzz distortion. Because, I mean, it can do scuzzy fuzz distortion. And although it doesn't have a fat switch, it can do anything from fattening up a clean to giving you brutal, not tight, modern metal sounds, but brutal metal sounds. Yeah. It does punk. You could even do jazzy stuff with it. It's great for indie. It's great for noise rock. It's great for grunge. It's good for hard rock and classic rock as well. It's good for so much. And it's... It's mm. super cheap, you know? You'll get yeah. one over here in Europe for under 100 euros. They say $150 is the American price, but I bet you can get a rat for about 80 bucks new in America. Yeah, I would assume Great, great so. pedals. I, I love the rat. I only discovered mm. it fairly recently, like a year or two ago, but it's, it's an amazing pedal. I love it. Yeah, it's something that I need to add on my board. I've had a few like DIY rat copies on my board, back in the day and I love them I, I think as soon as I found out, found out that the se second album of Foo Fighters was like recorded with 
pretty much like a rat and a Vox AC30 or something like that. Or at least like it's one of the pedals they've used a lot. I was like, yeah, yeah. I need to get that sound and it definitely gets you that sound. Yeah. I agree with this thing. Uh, number five is KHDK Dark Blood, a pedal that I don't really know, to be honest. And looks fairly modern. And they say that it's one of the best distortion pedals with a built-in noise gate for metal. It certainly looks very metal. Reasons to buy, yeah. defined, tight, high-gain sounds, built-in noise suppression works well, and useful EQ controls. Reasons to avoid, low-gain sounds are nothing to write home about. <laughs> and extra features would be nice considering the price. What are the extra features, though? You, you can't say it needs extra features without listing the extra features. Yeah, what would you want? I mean, it has quite a few for a, you know, a regular size pedal. It has gain volume, yeah. a doom control, a gate, <laughs> and a high-low switch. I mean, I'm not sure what more you could ask for in that size enclosure. What would you do? Maybe, yeah. maybe you could try and get like a low gain mode on it or something. I don't know. It would be really interesting to know what features they would like to mm. like to see added into it. But yeah, this is a brand, KHDK, which I'm also not really familiar with as a player. I know about them. They make pretty high-end pedals. The brand is a collaboration between Kirk Hammett and David... uh, What's his name? Is it Kama or Kaima, maybe? Anyway, whatever. Mm. A collaboration between those two guys originally. And they make very good stuff at a very boutique-y sort of a price point, you know? For the kinds yeah, of people who want those tones, it, it's probably absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah, they say here in the article that it's definitely the best distortion pedal for Metallica fans. Sounds like it. Yeah, sure, why not? Let's jump to number six right away because uh, another high-gain pedal, I think. Wampler Sovereign, Sovereign, how do you pronounce it? Distortion Sovereign. And Sovereign, yeah. Strong build, lots of tonal options, rich harmonics. And those were the reasons to buy and reasons to avoid. Takes a bit of tweaking. Um, Well, I can imagine because it has those extra features, which the KHDK didn't have. Um, I've never played the Sovereign. I actually... Me neither. I don't have any experience with the high-game Wampler stuff. They also have one called the Dracaris which I've not tried. Yeah. But I'm a big fan of their lower gain overdrives and a lot of the other pedals that they do, and this probably sounds great. It probably has that modern yeah. sort of a slightly hi-fi sheen to it that a lot of Wampler pedals seem to have. Some people like that, some people don't. I think it's cool. I would be up for yeah, trying I mean, one this, out. Yeah, this has modern and vintage switch as well, and then there's a gain and boost switch, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I like how it Volume has a tone mid-contour. knob and a mid-contour. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So you, presumably you can just scoop the mids out if that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like you can get quite a lot of array of different tones out of this one. Cool-looking pedal, but it's, again, if if you were thinking of you know your 10 top distortion pedals, <laughs> would you think of the Wampler Sovereign? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, obviously, neither of us own one, but I also, I don't know anybody else who does. 
And that's always a sign for me where I'm like, ah, you know, we guitarists, we're all in the same boat. We all follow the same things. We read mm. the same mags and websites. So if there was a reason for us to try something out, some of us would have or own this pedal, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's like, uh, it seems like a very specific type of sound for people. Like, it's not even the like the most famous drive, or maybe even like top three famous drive from Wampler. Yet, like even being like a top ten or top eleven pedal in the world right now. So, yeah, I guess what I'm realizing about this list is that they they're kind of keeping it to pretty high gain distortion pedals. You know, same does a bunch of amazing overdrives like the Pantheon, which I own and love. But I guess that would not apply to this list because it's an overdrive, it's lower gain, it's transparent. And and that's how they've done this list. Yeah, so it seems. And yeah, moving on to number seven, Friedman BEOD distortion pedal. Okay, I can agree with this one, I'd say. Yeah. This is definitely one I would expect to see on the list. Let's put it that way. Uh, Reasons to buy huge British distortion sounds (laughs) near unlimited gain. Is that a plus or down, like a minus point? Not sure. Great value given to the tones on offer. Yeah. For some people, near unlimited gain, that is a plus point for sure. For me, this pedal was too much. I also tried and well i own the dirty shirley pedal and that's Mm. their low gain overdrive pedal which also gives you huge british overdrive sounds but that has an internal game trim pot as does the beod actually they both have little pots inside that you can twist to give you more or less distortion and i run the dirty shirley's internal game trim pot at its lowest possible setting and it's still sometimes too much for me so, you know, yeah. the BE overdrive with everything at 12 o'clock, like in that image, would just destroy me. Which some people would see as a reason to buy. So there you go. Yeah. The thing, the funny thing is, like, in the, in the article, they said that reasons to buy is a near unlimited gain. Reasons to avoid could be overgained for some. <laughs> Good okay. point. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I can see what... Like, this is the first one where, like... I, I go like, yeah, th- this is something I would have thought of for this list. I'm gonna say. Yes. Uh, number eight, Fender Pugilist Distortion. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a high gain bias. I have no like impression of what this sounds like. I know this pedal exists, but I also forgot that this pedal exists. Same for me. It's a shame that that line of Fender pedals, <clears throat> I don't know, it, it passed us by in a way. I'm kind sure of, all yeah. the effects are great. I actually got the the Treverb, the Tremolo Reverb one, and it's all mm. right. I don't like it that much. I'm probably going to get rid of it at some point. But I think they were going for an affordable range of pedals that just, you know, is solid, looks simple, and gets the job done. And I'm sure the Pugilist does mm. that, but... I tried it at a show once. It was fine. Not really my thing. <laughs> it, it's just kind of boring, isn't it? It's very affordable. Kind of. Yeah. I I have no impression of what it sounds like. 
looks wise, not my thing at least. And yeah, I mean, could be great. But one again, thing I really like about the looks is the fact that uh, there's a switch. You can just see it on the top right corner there. And you can switch on if the knobs light up. Ah, so this pedal looks true. kind that's of cool boring, detail. but you can have those knobs lit so you can even see where you are on the darkest of stages. So that's cool. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, that's otherwise. A cool feature. Yeah, this is a very vanilla pedal for me. Yeah, it does have a bass boost switch though. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think they were they were thinking of making kind of utilitary pedals that are simple in looks and just deliver in terms of tones, but were not something to get super excited about. Kind of the opposite of the modern day boutique pedals that cost more than twice as much, have a cool design yeah, that's and true. probably sound the same. Yep. Number nine is um, excuse me, Walrus Audio Iron Horse version two. Uh, I gotta say, I'm clone? a bit lost in the. Is it the red tone? Old school drive tones. I gotta Google that, what but I this? thought that was a rat clone. Uh, yeah, and it if so, it's fine being on the list. Yes. <laughs> Says a 70s style distortion tones uses classic LM308 chip. A bit fuzzy for tighter distortion sounds, that was reasons to avoid. Uh, not that affordable, 188 euros, $199. So, yeah. Not the cheapest pedal out there. Fairly simple pedal. Simple looking, there's a. LED and this is a switch that does something. I don't see a label on the switch though, so I'm not sure what the switch actually does. My uh, guess would ah, be three way clip switch. switch. Ah, <laughs> it is okay. No, it wasn't a fat switch. Shame, but yeah, just a, a very quick Shame. Google search there. Oh, yeah, you can see in the reasons to buy uses the classic LM308 chip, so it's a rack clone mm. effectively. Ah, there which you go. means I need to try it because it hasn't been on my radar really. Yeah. It's triple the pl price of the rat, though, so almost the triple the price. Yeah, Maybe it is interesting. The rice is good. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, you have that three-way clipping switch. Maybe it's three different that rat circuits. True. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, yeah. there are so many rat sort of, let's not say clones, but kind of homages to the rat made by modern boutique companies that cost, you know, three times as much as an original rat. And it's, you know, sometimes you think, is it worth it? But in some ways, maybe it is, and in some ways, maybe it's not. I mean, I love my rap pedal, mm. and I love the cheap clone that I have, and I love the more expensive clone that I have as well. Yeah. Uh, what? Number 10 is Amp Tweaker Tight Metal Junior. Uh, one of the best choice. metal distortion pedals from the designer of the 5150. Oh, really? Okay, you got me interested a little bit. It has a, it has a fat normal and tight switch, so this is a winner already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, among the best high gain sounds you'll get from a pedal built in noise gate, flexible EQ, reasons to avoid not cheap and too much gain for sub. And there you go. Well, from the designer of the fifty one fifty, that's probably going to be a really good pedal. It has a very yeah, left field sort of design. 
I don't know True. if I like the design on first look, but it looks metal. It's pretty unique. It's another one that I've never ever seen anywhere in a store or I've yeah. never heard anyone else play it or use it, but would be interested to check it out. Hmm. True. And number 11 is the Bogner Ecstasy Red. Yeah, um, I guess so. Like, um, I've had the, what's the gold Bogner pedal? The Not Lagrange. The ecstasy, but Lagrange, indeed. I've had that one. It was a great pedal. Yeah, I have that. Uh, I enjoy that a lot. But yeah, again, I guess that's an overdrive pedal, right? That's a plexi mm. pedal with a boost. This is distortion. It's different. Uh, yeah, I so. guess this could be on the list. I'm fine with this being on the list. Few are some weird picks. This, why not? Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange list again, but it was fun to go through. I mean, if yeah. let's imagine that they were limiting themselves to kind of medium to high gain distortions, and they probably did okay, didn't they? Yeah, I'm struggling so. to think of other distortion pedals in that kind of genre that would go on there. Mm. But I is mean, Rev G three a distortion pedal? It's a distor- It's not no 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 overdrive. I think it's the distortion. Yeah, I would definitely I, have I the Rev G three in that. No question. Yeah. What about something like the Boss so, DS one? You know, if we're talking about the best distortion pedal, why not have the ultimate classic in there? Yeah, my only thing, like, guess is that it's too boring to have on the list. It's a 40-year-old classic. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's still amazing. I have one, and I'm not getting rid of mine anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say it's just, it would be boring to have that one on the list. Okay, what about Even the Boss HM2? You might be right. HM2, a bit too controversial, like too niche. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with names that we could otherwise put on the list. Well, maybe they (laughs) got the best 11. Maybe they got the the best 11 already. So, yeah. Uh, I think we might want to jump to the album thing next because I'm really curious to see, to hear what's your pick and maybe I'll again find something to listen to as happened the last time Rich was picking an album that I actually really enjoyed yeah let's jump to albums of our lives like plastic on a CD shelf these are the albums of our lives so Rich what do you have for us today well I'm lucky that I have this record to talk about today because this past week I've been so incredibly busy that I kind of forgot that I was going to have to talk about a record that I like. And I came across the idea last night. And last night I was doing the Blue Guitar live stream, so I was on that till half past ten. Got home really late. Went to bed, got up and listened to this record while I was getting ready to do the show actually and it's possibly 
one of my favorite records of all time, possibly my favorite. I don't know. It's impossible to say what my favorite record ever is, but this is definitely up there. It's in my top three. It's probably one of the albums I've listened to the most in my life, even though it was only released in 2008. And it's from one of my, I guess, idols as a musician, as a singer, as a songwriter, as a guitar player, and as a gear nerd as well, because he's a gear nerd too. And the album is, here it comes, on unopened vinyl, because I have a copy on vinyl that I've never used so far. It is The 59 Sound by the Gaslight Anthem. I I mean, you must be familiar with the Gaslight Anthem, Vlad. Yes. And I'm familiar with the album as well. Uh, so there you go I'm well sorry you I don't find be. anything new this week yeah but this <laughs> is this record is another one that was life oh, I should have taken that cellophane off but I don't want to because it's worth more money because it's quite rare yeah but anyway okay, yeah keep it that way yeah the Gaslight Anthem for those of you who don't know them are or were because they're they're gone now they're split <clears throat> they were and are uh, a folk punk punk, generic rock band. They started off in the mid-2000s doing punky stuff. Then they switched up and did a bit more sort of folk punky, Bruce Springsteen-influenced stuff, and they ended up doing more generic hard rock, uh, billboard rock chart light sort of stuff. And then they moved a bit more folky, and Brian Fallon went off and did his own solo stuff with The Horrible Crows, who have an amazing record, which I might talk about in future. And mm. he does his own Brian Fallon records, which are great, but much more folky. And so the Guest Light Anthem first came to my attention in the summer of 2008. And that was the year that the 59 Sound came out. And I was still reading regularly a magazine called Kerrang, which is a UK, or it was a UK weekly, anything from rock to metal magazine. So music with angry, distorted guitars. And the Gaslight Anthem, out of nowhere, suddenly appeared on the cover of that magazine. And I think, if I remember rightly, they were the first band who had never been featured in the magazine and then went straight to the cover. And I thought, oh, mm. this, this is going to be this is going to be big. It's going to be exciting. And they were talking about this amazing folk punk record. And so I ended up checking out the 59 Sound and I loved it straight away. And it's something that I didn't know was out there. It is... It's punky, but it has folk aspects to it. There's a big Bruce Springsteen influence to it in the the vocals and the lyrics and also in the production techniques as well. And what it doesn't have, which everything else in Kerrang! had and what a lot of other punk rock has, is highly distorted guitars. A lot of the songs are played on just barely breaking up instruments. And that was something that I just really really loved and the album itself is named after a 59 Fender Bassman that Brian Fallon the the singer and main songwriter was uh repairing I think at some point and fell in love with the tone because he's an amp tinkerer he loves his gear he has a great mm. Instagram channel and he's a very funny guy he does lots of live music there so check him out on there if you're if you're interested but this record as I said it 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 changed how I thought about punk music and I realized that you didn't always have to turn up the distortion control to make your guitar sound good and to make it sound big and we've just looked at a you know a list of 11 amazing distortion pedals i bet not one of those was used on this record because on a lot of the tracks he's just playing either a telecaster or a les paul jr style guitar pretty Mm. much clean and songwriting and lyrics and storytelling 
comes to the fore on this album. It has, is it 12 songs? Yeah, 12 tracks. And every track is a unique little story in itself. I love the way that he writes about, I think, experiences that have happened in his life. It's kind of an American love story. It's often about relationships that he's tried to have and that have failed. He does that kind of Springsteen or Paul Simon thing of naming people in songs. So he talks about Bobby Jean and he talks about Sally and he talks about Jane and he talks about lots of different women. And it's something that I've never been able to do as a lyricist. It just feels forced. It doesn't feel right. But with him, it feels like he's telling you this story and it's bittersweet, but it's feel good at the same time. And it's very anthemic. Everybody listening to this will know the single, The 59 Sound, which is probably the Gaslight Mm. Anthem's most iconic track. But there's others on there which are absolutely amazing. I I love every track on this record. And as we've discussed with our previous albums of the week, this is one that I listen to from start to finish. No problem. Out of the 12 Mm. tracks, I absolutely love at least 11 of them. There's one on there which is maybe a little bit weaker. I shan't name it, but listen to the whole album through. And it's it's a cohesive piece, you know? It's like 35 minutes of just a musical journey. And actually, I used this record always as my NAM record. Every time I go to the NAM show every year, apart from last year and apart from this year, because it didn't happen... I take this record with me and I listen to it and I walk around Orange County and it's kind of, it's the perfect record to discover America with, in a way. It's such an American kind of way of looking at the world and it tells stories about American cars and American people. And I just always land in America in January every year and I walk around Anaheim or somewhere in Orange County or I walk along the beach at Huntington Beach listening to this record and it gives me so many amazing memories, so many amazing thoughts. It's just a feel-good album for me. It's, I'm not going to say perfect because there is no perfect record, but it's just, I think for that band at that time, everything came together. Their songwriting was on point. The production by Ted Hutt is on point. The lyrics are on point. Brian Fallon is an amazing storyteller. The vocals are out of this world. He's a great goosebumps-inducing singer, and it just created a a thing that will live with me forever as, a, as an amazing record. So it's the 59 sound by the Gaslight Anthem. I love it. That was kind of rambling because I hadn't planned what I was really going to say, but I, I, I love this record. It came from the heart instead of a script. It did. And that's the most imp- usually do here. important thing. Yeah. They, they were yeah. an amazing live band as well back in mm. the day, back when they released that record. I think they've got five albums in total and I think I've got two more from them that could appear on this Mm. segment in the show. So a very, very important band for me, a very, very cool band. And I guess another thing is it's not guitar hero-y in any way. Most of this Mm. record is based around songs that are four or five chords. That's about it. You know, there's no big solos or anything like that. There is nothing Eddie Van Halen-esque on this record whatsoever. There's a few lead guitar breaks and stuff like that, but it's all based around melody and adding to the song and telling the story. So an amazing record. Listen to it if you haven't already, please. Yeah. You're like, I'm familiar with this album and I'm f- familiar with the band. My first uh, introduction to Gaslight Anthem was handwritten. Uh, uh, an old like school buddy of mine was a big fan of the band and he was always talking about the Gaslight Anthem and he recommended that I would start with handwritten. And what happened to that? happens many times with a lot of bands like the first record you hear from a band 
And if you like really like them, that becomes like a benchmark you can pay all the other albums to. And that's why I haven't dived into the 59 sound as much yet, at least. Uh, yeah, but it's been a while yeah. since I've listened to anything Gaslight Anthem, so I am probably need to go back and listen to this one. I have I remember listening through this album a few times as well and liking it, but you're yeah, giving me a great sales a... pitch again, so... Ah, thank you. I should get commission on this. But yeah, Handwritten is a much more... That's one of the later records, and it's a much more kind of rock radio, glossy, mm. produced record with, in my opinion inferior songs to the 59 sound their, their first yeah. three albums for me are where it's at and the 59 sound is the second full-length album had written as some great songs on it and some some great radio hits but overall for me it's a lot less fun than the 59 sound but i totally agree that when you hear one record from a band that's a benchmark on which you judge everything else mm. it, it just happens like that you know yeah. I was surprised when I listened to the Gaslight Anthem's other records. So when the 59 sound came out, I went and got their first one, Sink or Swim. And that's a lot punkier, a lot more DIY. And it's amazing, by the way. It's another of the ones that I would feature on this on this mm. section. But totally different. Took me a while to get into it as well. But there's just something about that band. And I think Brian Fallon's voice and lyrics and the way he sings is a great thing for me. He's, I don't know, th there's so much emotion in that voice and I feel like he's really lived a lot of the stories that he tells. So, really special for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quickly going back to the thing where you got like the first album you hear from a band. I think I mentioned this in one of the episodes back, back in the day where my first introduction to, like proper introduction to Foo Fighters was listening to their best of album. And that, that's been like the worst thing, uh, like the worst way to be introduced to the band because like going to the actual albums was always disappointing because they're not, like the albums are not as strong as their biggest hits. Uh, yeah, exactly. Those <laughs> album tracks on the albums. Yeah. I have the yeah. same thing with Queen. I heard their greatest hits yeah. first. And then you go back to the records, especially some of the earlier records with more proggy stuff on it. And you're like, is this the same band? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, with Gaslight Anthem, there's, uh, yeah, it's very American and Springsteen. -y and like, yeah, I, I like that. Especially like, I think with the Fusion and Sound, I remember from the production, it's like, it sounds old, modern, modern, old type of thing, where like a lot of the reverbs and things they do is like going for that kind of Springsteen sound without like making it sound like an old record though. Like, so there's a lot of low end and stuff happening as you have on a more modern production. But yeah, they like really leaned into it. And I think that's good if you have yeah, a singer I mean, like that and songwriter like that. It. Yeah, exactly. That's totally what they were going for as well. I mean, mm. Brian Fallon was a huge Springsteen fan. They're from the same place. They're both from New Jersey. And the Gaslight Anthem actually got their big break through Bruce Springsteen in a way, because after oh. this record came out, it found its way to Bruce Springsteen because all the album reviews were saying, oh, this is the young 
young pretender to Bruce Springsteen's <laughs> crown. He heard the record and he ended up coming and playing on stage with them at a few festivals, playing the 59 sound oh. and duetting with them. And after that, sales of the album rocketed and they became a much bigger band in, in terms of chart placings and stuff. So Interesting. It worked out for them. Yeah. What was the reason for them breaking up? They went on a hiatus a few years ago, five or six years ago, I think it must have been. And Brian Fallon continued doing solo stuff and working with the Horrible Crows, which is his other band. And then I think they got back together for a bit and maybe did a tour, but they've gone on another indefinite hiatus. So it's like they haven't split, but you can't imagine them coming back together again or whatever. Yeah. I feel like it was a band that drifted apart. You know, I feel like mm. a lot of punk bands are a product of their time. You know, they're a band, they're a, a band of brothers together, them against the world, they come together. And at some point that flame flickers out, you know, at some point, if you're punk and you become successful like them, does that stop you yeah. being punk? I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky one. And I'm yeah. sure that that was one reason for them. And I think also that Brian Fallon moving more into the folk acoustic direction also influenced mm. the way the band sounded and possibly made the other guys less interested in carry on doing that. I don't know. That's pure yeah. guesswork, but a possibility in my head. Yeah. But yeah, I, I want to dive into this album. I'll probably listen to it later today. Especially like Stick it on in the car if you have the chance, if you're driving somewhere. Oh, Not if it's a stressful situation where you're having to drive somewhere very fast for a very specific yes. reason. But if you're going <laughs> on a road trip or something, stick it on. And it, it, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I need to do that, definitely. But I think I might give it a listen today as well, just because I can. Because I, I, I want to remind myself like what the album sounded like. It's been several years since I've listened to it, so I've kind of forgotten already. Yeah, I think try try approaching it also from a, a songwriting perspective. Well, don't mm. think of it as a songwriting exercise, but just yeah, let the let the words and let let the songs take you on a journey. That album takes me on a journey every single time, and mm. it's one of those albums where I associate, you know, places like Orange County in California and mm. smells, and even the way the wind rustles through trees and stuff. Mm. And the way the waves hit the <laughs> hit the beach, Huntington Beach, it's, it's a bit weird, but albums bring back memories, you know? That, like yeah. with your album, every album, every piece of music is a diary to your life in a way. You remember where you were when you first yeah. heard it, when you wrote it, if it was your song. You remember the experiences yeah. that you've had when you listened to it. And I've listened to this album so many times in certain situations that it, it can conjure up those memories. Even now, sitting at home during the pandemic, I can put that album on be transported to somewhere in America having a much nicer time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will report to you whether I'll be transported somewhere or not with that one. We shall see. But yeah, thank you. I, I still have, actually have no idea what I'm going to pick for the next week's show. If there will be one, that, that's always a question. But we actually do have a yeah, backup. But, yeah, that's good. You know. It feels good to have that in hand. But th yeah, this was actually really hard to come up with. Like I said, I came up with mm. the idea last night. Well, I, I realized I would have to do this. 
And I was like, what record can I talk about on short notice? And th- there's a couple that I would want to do. And this one, yeah, I did it. But I also thought maybe I should leave it for later because it's really one of my very, very top albums. Am, am I showing it off too fast? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I've done it now. It's all good. Is, is it all downhill from here? On like yeah exactly it's just crap records that's, that's the on. question <laughs> but yeah really fun stuff to discuss and I'm I'm already like thinking what I'm going to pick I have few ideas but then I, again like I need to check my CD shelf because like a lot of my music history is on that back wall over there like yeah albums that I have forgotten I, I was heavily inspired by so yeah we shall see. You'll have to listen to the next one as well. That's all I'm going to say. But before we wrap up, there's something we want to uh, encourage you to watch this weekend in the favorite segment of all of us. Something like that. We can watch. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Video. It's not like you have anything else to do. As I mentioned, we are talking about Kiko Lurero, I hope I'm not butchering his name too much. But yeah, he's been vlogging from the Megadeth tour. And it's really interesting to follow like that kind of production. They're touring US. They've been doing that for a while. And he's been posting a lot of uh, clips from their like, vlogs weekly. Even more often than weekly, I think. And yeah, they're interesting to watch like what kind of production they have the amount of gear they have with them is which is kind of crazy and like all the rehearsals they had they like they have practiced like how they like walk on the stage during the different songs and stuff like that it's it's all pretty choreographed (laughs) and yeah it's also really cool to see like a true true professional like imagine jumping into Megadeth that has had several like absolutely like legendary legendary guitar players in their ranks. And then you have to play that stuff. And based on everything I've heard, he does that really, really well. And he's also like a very chill guy, really seems to give like high praises to the crew they have there. And yeah, they have so, I, I don't know, it seems like they have like five tour buses or something they move with and like what what it's like to take care of your body for example like i think kiko does run like he goes for a run like every day and for like a fairly long runs and like how strict of strict of a diet you need to have on the tour as well to like just maximize uh the like or let's put it the other way minimize the risk of getting ill during the tour which can absolutely happen so, yeah, lots of interesting stuff to follow here. And also, for Gear Nerds, this one we are linking to. He shows of all of the guitars he's using on the tour. Amps-wise, there's not much to watch because uh, he's using the Quad Cortex, something that they are experimenting on this tour. So far, they have... they seem to be happy. I've, I'm seeing a lot of people using the Quad Cortex now. It seems to be the new thing on the modular market, not Kemper, not Helix or Axe FX anymore. It's the Quad Cortex. It's the hot new thing and he's using that. Not sure what Dave is using for his guitar sound, but 
he is using quad cortex. And yeah, bunch of Ibanez guitars because he is an Ibanez artist. And yeah, this is an interesting video, but then I highly recommend you check some of his other, other videos as well, like the tour rehearsals and stuff like that. Uh, kind of, I think he takes, uh, like, by accident, he kind of takes out a lot of the glamour touring might have because most of it it's like waiting getting warmed up getting lunch with your bandmates and the crew and preparing and like and then there's the hour and a half or whatever your show lasts that that's the glamorous part but everything else is just waiting and trying to take care of yourself and each other there <laughs> like, humanizes the whole touring part i would say and kind of makes me appreciate the people who are doing that even more yeah, it's it's so different, isn't it, to how it used to be in the you know in the heydays of the seventies when you had these legendary bands like Led Zeppelin, you know, with all these yeah. insane stories about what they used to get up to on tour. Would never happen today, would it? <laughs> because we have YouTube and we have videos like this, and we know what Megadeth is eating for lunch every day. <laughs> and <laughs> back in the day, you you just didn't know it. So yeah, in in one sense, they're demystifying the whole thing, but they're also you know, the bands, they have to connect on much more of a personal level with fans mm. than they used to. So I love this kind of video. It's like yeah. a Premier Guitar Rig Rundown, but just done by them. It's really, really well mm. done. And he's a really charming, charismatic guy. I must admit, I'd never heard of him before you sent me this video link, but good. Yeah. Like, I ha before he joined Megadeth, I might have seen him in some videos. He's like, I think he's from Brazil. Please forgive me if I get it wrong. Like, uh, Southern America, definitely. And, yeah. He joined the band five years ago or so, which is quite a long time already. And, yeah. Nice guy. Well, like, really well-produced videos. I'm guessing he has someone, like, following him, him with a camera and, like, maybe even, like, planning the next video because, like, they're pretty focused. Like, there isn't too much, like, empty space in this. Like, he's not not going to waste your time, let's put it that way. And I like that a yeah. lot. So, yeah. somebody else is probably doing the editing. I don't see Kiko doing the video edits on the tour bus. Or maybe he does. Who knows? I reckon but, he can possibly yeah. afford to pay someone to edit the videos. But who knows? Maybe he I'm, spends, I'm you know, sorry. some of those road hours doing it himself. Yeah. He is indeed Brazilian, I by the way, I just checked. And he is yeah. married to a lady from Finland. Oh, really? Exciting I like time. him even more now. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason, I'm not, I'm not sure what I mean by that. But, yeah. I need to Google search who he's married to. Maybe I know her. Yeah, but he does have a wonderful collection of Ivanes superstrats, oh, yes. doesn't he? Wow. Yeah, and he has a signature strat. And he actually, I think he teases in this video, he teases the budget-friendly version of that signature guitar as well, which is based on the S series of Ibanez guitars, it seems. So, like, super, super comfortable guitars. Yeah. I've had one in the past. What, what do you think it's like coming into Dave Mustaine's band and having to play guitar in the same band as him? I mean, obviously, Kiko knew what he yeah. was getting himself into, but it must be a a high-pressure situation. Yeah, it must be, but 
then again, he's he seems like like one of those people who probably like was he probably felt fairly accomplished already and like he had the work ethic and and everything that he knew that hey I can pull this off and like he really seems to nail the solos and everything and he knows that everyone is watching and my guess would be that he's almost like enjoying that and he he seems to be like very humble as well oh that's a fancy looking guitar. LA custom. Whoa. It's cool. But yeah, like all, all I can tell from his videos, like a nice guy, very level headed, doesn't seem to have like a huge ego or anything like that. And seems to be fun to hang around with as well. So yeah, fun video to watch. And I, I bet a lot of you people will be checking out more of his videos as well because they're interesting. I I don't think we've, or like at least I haven't seen this kind of insight into like Megadeth or Metallica or anyone else's like tour preparation. This feels way more genuine than like an official Megadeth tour vlog type of thing. Yeah, it's definitely. Through the yeah. eyes of one of the band members and not the lead member. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Links to this thing in the show notes as well. And let's jump to this view over here. Thank you so much for watching and listening. And a bunch of stuff in the show notes where you can support what we do. Uh, the album that has just been released, my album, that is, it's the richest channel. Links is there, are there, is there, something like that. Everything is there. Let's put it that way. And hopefully next time we won't have the same technical issues before we get started because it was really annoying. But we got to the end and that's all good. Thank you, Rich, for joining me once again. And yeah, bye podcast. Bye podcast. Bye podcast.